I'm having my prostate gland checked <laughs> with David Plead. To which you replied, well, that's better than having your prostate checked by David Plead. <laughs> Great to have you with us, listeners, for this penultimate edition of Tottenham Hotspur's season review chain. Eric, Sin and Peter are back alongside me again to no doubt splutter the word turgid many times in assessment of 1987-88 season. Thanks for coming back, guys. Everyone looking forward to the Premier League's return later this month, guys? I am, actually, yeah. I am. I, I, I don't think the Bundesliga behind closed doors has been quite as bad as I thought, but, you know, it's just what we're going to have to get used to, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Eric, are you looking forward to it? Empty stadiums and all that? Yeah, certainly not looking forward to empty stadiums. I think it's sort of curiosity value for a while. What have the Spurs players been doing to keep themselves fit? And will they be as fit, reputedly, as Burnley? (laughs) Never. That's a worry. That is a worry. Peter, are you looking forward to it? I think it's the empty stadiums I have the most problem with. For me, it's like the moments of a goal going in and the interaction between the players and fans, it's all about that interaction. And I just don't know. I mean, anything, I would probably watch the Spurs games because of that personal involvement with it, but uh, I shan't be watching any others. I was never a fan of playing behind closed doors, as uh, Sim probably knows. I agree, I agree. Well, anyway, we're expecting to be welcoming Manchester United to an empty Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on the weekend of the 20th of June. But for now, the podcast continues its nostalgic descent back towards 1986-87 season. Today, attention is on the season which followed that, 1987-88, which a reasonable, at best, start to the season turned miserable from October as manager David Pleat resigned for non-footballing reasons, linked at the time to curb crawling and was replaced immediately by one of our 1967 FA Cup winning players, Terry Venables, who had been sacked by Barcelona just a month earlier has been a, a recurring character for us during this journey and we've yeah. also talked a lot about the qualities of Terry Venables who is clearly a football man can you remember feeling sad to see Pleat go or was getting Venables a undoubtable step up for us Peter? David Pleat casts a long shadow over Spurs like Sim said he's like a recurring character I think he built that 1987 team which was like tactically very astute but obviously every bit equal as a football man was Terry Venables. So I, I remember being, you know, I never never felt sad about Pleat leaving. It was just kind of left a bit under a cloud, but I was very elated that we had Venables because he'd done great things at Barcelona. How did you feel, Eric? Did you feel the same? Oh, no, no, I completely disagree with Peter. I think it was a great shame. I think David Pleat was football man through and through. I think that he had the team playing the way that, well, it was a different way to Venables. And I think a lot of what happened later on this season was down to the fact that they were trying to play differently. And Pleat, I mean, you've only got to listen to Pleat when he does his commentary, when he when he's on the radio or the telly, and he knows his stuff. Oh, yeah, he's, I, he's a football well, man. He was a really good manager, and it was just sad that, you know, yeah. the way that he went. Do you know what, Eric? I, I totally agree with you, and, I dis- and very rarely do I disagree with Peter. I was actually gutted when he left. I, I think if he'd been given time 
and the money, he was building something big there. And I think if he'd been given longevity, he was yeah. a, at, that, at that time, he was a real up and coming. He was a real thoughtful manager. His style of football was good. He spoke well about the game. And also, one key thing, he, he sort of understood the Spurs traditions in his mind in playing nice football. So, yeah, I, I, yeah. I was very upset. I was really upset that he'd gone. I'm not at odds with either of you because I have eulogised over the 1987 team. With regard to play, you know, I think it was a very, very good yeah, football yeah. man, tactically astute. There's a mutual friend of ours, Paul, he said that he had his prostate gland checked in the same clinic as David Pleat. Is that right? And I remember you chipping in with a comment. <laughs> he said, he just sent us a picture and he said, I'm having my prostate gland checked with David Pleat. To which you replied, Well, that's better than having your prostate checked. By David, <laughs> I just, do you remember? Was that, was that one of your comments? Eric? Uh, brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> um, they, they, I mean, they they always talk about um, he always denies this curb calling charge, and he sort of felt he he was framed a little bit. So Pleat said all the right things. You know, he was sorry for the embarrassment, etc. And the board issued a statement supporting him. But Eric, you know, me and you, we found out. We're big fans of Pleat. Do you think the club should have done more and stood by him, or would you think there was something else happening behind the scenes? I wanted us to hold on to him. I don't know whether if we had done, more would have been revealed about his extracurricular behaviour, possibly, and that's why we had to let him go. But I was surprised and disappointed. As you said, he said the right things, he apologised. Do you think, Peter, he was unlucky, really? Or do you think the poor or the indifferent start possibly didn't help him as well? I actually feel, you know, he was unlucky because, you know, we'd finished the season the season before, you know, done very well. And then we lost Richard Goff, which we'll come on to in a minute. But I just don't think he was backed enough by the club. So I think something had gone on, Peter. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, but then... Hamstrung by the loss. Am I right in saying he lost Hoddle that season? I don't know. Did Hoddle leave the club? Yeah, we'll come on to that in yeah. a minute. Yeah, we'll come on to that in a minute. Yeah, but yeah, he had lost Hoddle. So I think he was hamstrung a little bit. That wouldn't have helped. Peter, on the musical thing, I read an article recently where David Pleat was likened to being like Pete Best of the Beatles. He was always like, you know, well thought of and a rising star and possibly a future England manager. But every time it just, it was always what could have been. Tactically, he just knew the game inside out. Later on, he was to play a big part in the arrival of people like Defoe at the club. So he had a part to play. He stepped in as a caretaker manager. But um, I would possibly disagree with the Pete Best analogy because the Pete Best was the, the one that was jettisoned from the Beatles because he was too popular and too good-looking and the others were a bit jealous of him. So he couldn't possibly say that about that's David definitely not Pete. the case is it particularly that suit he wore when Luton stayed up I just want to sort of go back on to the season now so some players left the club in 1987 but none more influential than Glenn Hoddle my favourite of a Spurs player as a as I've said many times on this podcast, who drew a line under 17 years at the club, first as a schoolboy, then one of our most iconic first teamers to join Arsene Wenger's Monaco in a deal worth £750,000. Hoddle cited a desire to be great to appreciate as a footballer and the chance to play European football as reasons for going. Eric, where does Hoddle rank for you in terms of all-time Tottenham greats? Mm, well, he is. He is one of them. He is, if you're picking your Tottenham top 11 he's got to be in there 
So he's in. He he is, and in terms of midfielders, that puts him in the top. Depending what formation you choose, puts him in the top three or the top four, yeah. or the top five. <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, he, he is a wonderful footballer. I mean, uh, Peter, I'm gonna we're gonna talk about Hoddle more when we go into the eighty six eighty seven season. But I mean, he's just been a legend for the club, hasn't he, Peter? Yeah, Eric and I attended an evening with Glenn Hoddle back in January and that was just a really great evening where he just we sat and listened to him reminisce about those days in the 70s and 80s. Probably our most naturally gifted player and because of the longevity and the trophies that he won, that ranks him above Gaza in that sense. Just raw talent. He would just hit you with passes. If you were like Crooks or Archibald, you would make those runs because you knew that he would play like a 40-yard pass. And then you add the goals that he scored to that. A really brilliant strike rate for a midfielder. Yeah, he did, didn't he? All kinds of goals. He could have a goal of the season competition just on his own. It was a bit like a Matt at Letizia, yeah. really. Wonderful player. Yeah, you're right. He was. Wonderful player. We'll come on to him more when we do the, the final season. Uh, Sim, can you sort of give us what transfers, bearing in mind Hoddle had gone? Actually, can you give us a player who had left in that season first, please? Yeah, so I think you cited, didn't you, that Hoddle wanted to play in Europe. We finished third the season before, so we would have been in Europe, but for the high school ban, and so English clubs weren't allowed in Europe. But another player you touched upon earlier who left on the 2nd of October... A very influential centre-half went to Rangers for one and a half million. Richard Goff, how big an impact did that have on the side? That was another part of the thing that Hamstrung played. Mm. Him, lots of Hoddle and him. They had a lot of money at that time, yeah. didn't they, Rangers? Wonderful partnership with Gary Mabbott he had, which was just broken apart by the departure of Goff. Peter, I totally agree. It was brutal. I mean, he was fantastic in the previous season. And also, we didn't start that too badly with him. But, I mean, Goff, what a player. What? Yes. And I just, you know, we always talk on this about what could have been if we'd have kept him. But I don't, I don't think it was our fault in him going because I think his wife was homesick. I think, yes, Eric, so, yeah. do you remember that? I don't remember why he left us. I just remember that we weren't then left with a particularly strong defence. I think we had Razor Ruddock as the centre-back. Yeah, Ruddock was there as well. Also, Peter, the other players who played centre-back that season was Terry Fenwick, Fairclough and Ruddock alongside Mabbott as well. So, yeah. Gary Stevens played a few games as well at centre-back. So, we were a bit weak there, weren't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, we weren't that tall either. So, the big teams, the teams that, you know, booted it forward like Wimbledon, they would take advantage that we weren't a tall defence. Goff was such a great footballing centre-half. Like in the kind of mould of a kind of a, a real Ferdinand, he could just bring that ball out. It's a very cultured defender. He just never settled in London. That's the specific reason why he went back to Rangers. Just a, such a shame. That team could have possibly... Yeah, it's quite sad. Mabbott reckons we could have won the league under plea. Yeah, I agree, yeah. actually. And, and yeah. you think when you take out someone like Hoddle and then Goff goes out of a season, and yeah. you know when you look... Sim, can you tell us the players who came in? Um, yeah, so Paul Walsh came in from Liverpool. He'd—I I don't know if he'd had, he, had he been particularly good there. I, I assume he probably was. was yeah, he done well. Strong he'd team, been a popular yeah. player there. Yeah. Yeah. So two Merseyside signings. Paul Walsh came in from Liverpool, and Bobby Mims, the goalkeeper, unconvincing Bobby Mims, came in from Everton, and also we brought in 18-year-old Exeter City midfielder Mark Robson, Terry Fennett from QPR, John Metgod. And Chris Fairclough both came in from Nottingham Forest. And the Fairclough one, 
I mean, I was obviously before the Bosman ruling. Am I right in saying that contract expiries went to a tribunal at that point? Correct. Yeah, because he came in yeah, for a £387,000 tribunal fee. And he was never present this season, actually. Yeah, what, what did we think of him, Eric? What did you think of him as a, as a centre-back? Not convincing, really. There were too many mistakes in defence. We got caught short, we lost the ball, we got turned over. No, no, he doesn't feature as one of the great Spurs defenders, I'm afraid. I think he lacked concentration, Eric. Actually, on the ball, he was fine, and defensively, he was a good athlete. But I just think he seemed to be always pulled out of position. Um, so, yeah, it, was, it wasn't great. So, when you think we'd lost Goth, and then we'd so, brought in, you know, Fairclough, it wasn't a good swap, really. And also, we'd lost Hoddle, and we brought in Metcalf. Yeah. Are you saying that he's the Kyle Walker of that season? More the hand grenade, Serge Aurier. <laughs> we didn't spend that much money in that summer. We'd done so well the previous season. Peter, how did you did you feel a bit disappointed that we didn't try and build on the 86-87 season, a fantastic season? Yeah, we didn't yeah. really invest, did we, really? Yes, yeah, the story of our lives, really, because you could point to many, many more of these pivotal kind of moments where we... Just, you just need to just add that little bit extra cooking analogy together. You've got all the ingredients in the pot, but you just need to add just that little twinch of spice just to bring it to the boil. Yeah. And it's just, just missing that little twinch of spice. Many years down the road, that's happened so many times for Spurs. You know, that 87 team could have won the title, I think, for sure. I totally agree, Peter. But also what's interesting, you know, the same season, Liverpool, the same, the same summer transfer window, Liverpool spent massive. They bought Peter Beardsley for about 1.9 million, John Barnes for about 1.3 million. So they added three players to an already big squad, strong squad. And we had had a great season the season before and we had like, you know, no one really. So I remember, I don't know about Eric, you, how you felt as well. I felt very disappointed with their transfer dealings. Yeah, we sort of slipped down, really. Potentially, it was a little bit like last season and this season. You know, we were the we were so close last season, and the team were probably a bit flat for the eighty-seven, eighty-eight season because they were the nearly Spurs were the nearly boys the season before, and then you know how do you lift yourself up again when you were so close? in 86-87 and I, I see a parallel with last season and this season Is because this was the Irving yes, Scholar right year point. wasn't it we've, we've gone in this project of going backwards we've gone through three ownerships now is there and I think Scholar was a Tottenham fan as well as was Alan Sugar and as is Daniel Levy now is there something in it to do with having a fan of the club being the owner and maybe not wanting to risk the club's future as opposed to kind of putting the club in danger I don't know if that's got anything to do with it it's a brilliant question, Sim. A brilliant question. I, I, I don't. I just don't know the answer. But, yeah. but you're right. I mean, you think Abramovich comes in, and the, uh, obviously Man City. Yeah, it's a great question, Peter, Eric. I, I yeah. don't know how to answer really. We've never had that kind of sugar daddy come in at Spurs. You know, like uh, the previous, the original chairman when I started watching him was a guy called Sidney Whale, and he, I think, he might have sold the club to the scholar regime. There's lots of financial problems going on behind the scenes, I think, which might be explaining these transfer dealings. Actually, that's a brilliant point, Peter. That's a great point, because I think that's right. Um, I, just, I just wonder, before we sort of start going through the games, the goalkeeping situation, Eric, as you're here, we had three goalkeepers that season. So Tony Parks played 16 games, Bobby Mims played 13, and Ray Clements played 11. I mean, surely we, we needed a settled keeper 
what was your thoughts really? Do you think that contributed to like you know the bad defence? That certainly would not have helped the defence. And I'm not quite sure of the age of our defence, but I don't think they were particularly... Once we lost Goff, I think it was a relatively youngish defence. But yes, yeah, I think that sort of Clements went because he was getting on a bit. And then the other two goalkeepers, they, they couldn't make the position their own. So, yeah, I'm sure that uncertainty, the inconsistency of who was behind you would certainly have influence. Just simple things, you know, when a cross comes in, does the goalie go for it? Defenders get used to knowing whether, oh, there's a cross, the keeper's going to get that one. If it's a different keeper, then you're just not quite sure. Is that mine to go for? Is it the keeper's to go for? And I'm sure... Three keepers in one season just is part of the reason why we let so many goals in. Yeah, you compare that with the, the Arsenal think... back five, you know, that that was settled. The team that George Graham created, you know, with that back five, you need that consistency. Yeah, there, you're there, right. You? I totally agree, Peter. You're right. They, they stability, didn't they? I mean, our back four that season pretty much, Brian Stephen played a lot of right back. Gary Stevens played a lot of right back. Fairclough and Mabs. And then we have Mitchell Thomas or Chris Hewton at left back. I mean, it's a bit weak for me, considering... I don't know what you think, Peter. Yeah, I mean, then then you you add into the mix the loss of Hoddle, and you're losing quality, but then replacing it with uh, something that's a downgrade. What yeah. happened in the defence was definitely a downgrade on what we had. I think possibly in the midfield as well, you know, it was a downgrade as well. You know, we still had Ardiles there for a little while. He left in March, I think. Sam Wise was coming through and met the So... We still had Paul Allen, you know, and Hodge was there for a while and we still had Waddle. But I don't know, we just it's a big void to fill and should we have thrown money at that rather than gone for Met Hodge for two fifty? I mean that's the story of story of Spurs, isn't it, Peter? Yeah, yeah, but it's just like I said, like maybe the funds weren't there, you know, to to just really kick on the way that we needed to at the time. I mean you mentioned those names and you know, you could you, you could definitely feel that yeah, somebody next door is banging on the wall. Yeah, someone's trying to break in. It's not me. No, it's, just, it's coming from next door. Is it one of your fans, Peter? Is somebody trying to break in here and t- to tell us to stop, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, the season's so bad. Just to move on about our midfield, then we had up front, we used to Clive Allen up front, and Nico Klassen was still there. I mean, guys, what do we think of Nico Klassen? Yeah, I thought he was a good player. Like you say, you mentioned he's quick. He played uh, the tip of that diamond that uh, David Pleat had created. I really liked him the times I yeah. saw him play. He was unlucky not to play more because Clive Allen was so good in yeah, the season before. The, the team that um, Pleat built, it was like one guy up front, you know, so there was not often not room for the both of them. Even though we had Clive Allen and Klassen up front, Sim, we were pretty low goal scorers that season, weren't we? Oh, it's atrocious. I mean, this is we we had some pretty terrible seasons. Most of them came in the late nineties and the early two thousands. But this is probably the worst one, <laughs> just on the surface of it. And I'm glad that I didn't kind of experience it. We scored thirty eight goals in. It was weird. It was a forty game Premier League season. There were twenty one clubs in the league, meaning that one team sat out each fixture program, which is. I, I don't know why that was, but they were possibly trying to restructure it in some way. The top eight also qualified for the 1988-89 Football League Centenary Trophy, which is what it says on the tin. It is the centenary year of the Football League, but yeah. obviously we finished 13th this season, so we didn't make that for us. Pretty dark days, wasn't it? Sim, do you want to take us through the first sort of 
few games though until Pleat leaves. Yeah, I mean, we did all right, actually. We won six out of the first ten games. We lost on the opening day 2-1 at Coventry, who'd just beat us in the FA Cup final months prior. That was our last game. I assume they played in the Community Shield, but yeah, they um, possibly had a bit of a number on us at that time. But that was followed by a run of six games unbeaten. So we beat Newcastle and Chelsea at home straight after the Coventry game. And another nice win was 1-0 at West Ham through Fairclough's first Spurs goal. But I think what was interesting about the start of that season, we won our first six home fixtures, including in the League Cup. We won a game in the League Cup. We won five home games in the league. But the previous season had seen us win our last nine league games, which carried on this season into 14 consecutive league wins at the lane, which is, I think that's a record, which we equaled in the 16-17 season, didn't we, when we left the lane? Yeah, that's that's interesting, Sim. Yeah, we, I mean, we, I mean we, I don't think we started badly, which makes the whole Pleat situation even a bit more galling for all of us, I think. So Pleat gets sacked after roughly, I think, was that in October time, wasn't it, Sim? Yeah, he lost, I think he did lose his last two games. Our second loss of the season came at Old Trafford. This was actually Sir Alex Ferguson's first full season in charge of United. That just goes to show how far back we've gone now. But we lost 1-0 yeah. at Old Trafford. We beat Sheffield Wednesday 2-0 at home. But then we lost to Norwich away and Arsenal at home. The Arsenal game was the end of that home run. And that was the end of the pleat, of the pleat reign. The crowds were so up and down at Spurs because... You know, we, we played at home to Newcastle, it was 26,000. Then we had Chelsea at home, 37,000. Mm. A few weeks later, we had 21,000 at home. Then suddenly, we have Liverpool at home in Venables. I think it was Venables' first home game, if I'm right, mm. Sim. And there was 47,000 there. Wow. So, you know, the stadium was you know very big still. So it was very empty, I always remember feeling. Do you remember that, guys, Eric? Sadly, I was um, still playing a lot of football at that time, so I, I don't, I don't think I went to see Spurs at all that season. Peter I used to go to games and there'd be a half-empty stadium. I remember going to the Wimbledon game at home where we lost three 0 and there was about twenty-two thousand there. I mean, it was turgid, really. Twenty-two thousand in a stadium which holds forty-eight thousand. I think often reflected by the opposition, though. Like Eric, that was a kind of fallow period during my sort of attending Spurs. I didn't go to many games during that period. To be fair, you were lucky that season because it, yeah. uh, it was terrible. <laughs> you mentioned the Liverpool game. So and Sim- was a, a big crowd for that because the, the opposition yeah. was often reflected by the opposition. Really. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Sim, Sim, in his first home game, he lost 2-0. I think Ruddock might have made his debut for Spurs that day. But yeah, we didn't really sort of get a bounce or did we get a bounce with Venables? I suppose he got a little bit of a bounce, didn't we, when he took over? Uh, well, not initially. I mean, he lost his first two games in the league. He lost to Forest away and, as you said, Wimbledon, Freno at home and sandwiched in between that was uh-huh. a league cup exit at Villa Park. So that was that was three defeats in a row. I think the second half, it was just that second quarter of the season, if you're going to divide the season into quarters, the second one is just was just horrific. We, we were winless in nine by December. Mm-hmm. We scored only three goals in that run and... Actually, after losing to Arsenal at home, there was a period where we scored one goal in seven. So I, I suppose I hate, yeah. I hate to disagree, but to, to answer your question, no, there, there doesn't seem to have been a bounce. Not initially, anyway. No, not initially. But I think possibly he came into a club at the time, um, Peter, a club which was in a bit in turmoil with Pleat going, Hoddle was gone, Goff had gone. I mean, we were in turmoil at the time, weren't we? Yeah. Well, you just mentioned those two players, and that's kind of like. 
part of your spine that's gone, you know, and uh, I think that's what he had to maybe come in and, like Eric said, change the style of play to kind of like suit the personnel. And then that's why it mm. took, a, took a while to turn it around. You know, it's like almost yeah. like ripping up and start again, really. There was a comment made on a um, match of the day that I was revising for, something about Venables tried a sweeper system. And after a few games, it was clear that it wasn't working and he had to go back to a, a flat back four. So I think Venables was trying new things in defence, yeah. things that he'd learned in Barcelona, but we didn't have the defenders to be able to do it. I do remember that, Eric, because it, it was Johnny Method who he wanted to use as a sweeper. Yeah, yes. I remember that, yeah. yeah. We actually only finished, Sim, if we can sort of rush, but you know, we didn't <laughs> even end the season well, did we, really? I mean, we ended up finishing 13th, but we finished five points off the playoff relegation zone, didn't we? We did, yeah. I mean, just, just an awful season. Chelsea were the, were the team down there, weren't they? I think they finished 18th out of the 21. Yeah, and what was brilliant though, because in those days there was a playoff between the 18th place in uh, the Division 1 with some teams from the Division 2 at the time, and, mm. and Chelsea were the 18th spot, and then they were the ones who ended up getting relegated, which was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> which, uh, which gives <laughs> great cause for the songs, where, where were you when you were, there's no answer to that, Sean. They've never found an answer to that, by the way. Our second half of the season was so bad. Do you ever think Venables was ever close to sort of getting fired? I think he bought himself a bit of time because they knew that he was trying things. I don't remember any rumblings in the media about that. I think as long as we weren't down right at the bottom in the relegation zone, which we were for the following season in November, as long as he kept us out of that and there was always the chance that things would start to work because, you know, the sort of manager he was. There was a lot of optimism. So, yes, like Peter, I, I think it was just a rebuilding, a weird season, which was reflected, as you said, in the lower tendencies. It wasn't a very exciting season. We just survived it. You know, we were below teams like Luton. I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> That's a massive comparison you made I think it was in the the last podcast, was it, Eric? Or it might have been in this one about Mourinho and and Venables. It's just it just seems exactly the same. I mean, the Mourinho thing has been so underwhelming, yet there is that real hope because of who he is that something's gonna that something's gonna work out eventually, and we're gonna hopefully win something under him, which we did under Venables. But one thing that is for sure this year is that the crowds are gonna drop, but it's not gonna be any fault of our own, is it? Yeah, you're right, Sim. You're right, Sim. Um, it's the hope. Spurs fans, just we can't resist a bit of hope. It's the hope that kills you. How do you feel yeah, the Venables legacy is as Spurs as a manager? It's a what if... Uh, no, it's an if-only legacy. That's what it is. It just didn't reach the heights because we were still Spurs. We were still a bit Spursy. We couldn't be consistent enough. We could be brilliant at times. We could be exciting football, not this season, but at the end of the next season. But it was just if only. Didn't quite didn't quite do it. George Graham could have, you know, could have won us a league title, but it wouldn't have been as interesting. No. No, no Pete, how do you feel about Venable's legacy? Yeah, I feel the same way as Possibly Eric does about the, the end of the David Pleat sort of period. Actually, I was I was disappointed to see him go. I mean, had that disagreement with Alan Sugar, and it sort of mirrors what happened with Potts. It's like definitely it's a it's a what if scenario. 
definitely a charismatic figure who could have built on what he achieved. <coughs> he did win us a cup, but I think when you think about what he went on to do with England, he might have I done agree. more at Spurs. <laughs> so we finished 13th, nearly get relegated. How did we do in the FA Cup? Awful, awful. Um, I mean, just <laughs> <laughs> the cup competitions were just as bad as the league. So the FA Cup, we beat Oldham 4-2 away and then we went out 2-1 <laughs> at 3rd Division Port Vale. Um, yeah. That was bonkers up there as well. I mean, uh, there was it's bonkers because that was so disappointing again as well. We, we, thousands of fans went up there, and yeah, no, another disappointing FA Cup thing. But let's let's not dwell on that. Did we do any better in the League Cup that season? No, uh, marginally, but again, not very well. And actually, it started pretty embarrassingly. So we got beaten by Torquay United, who in the fourth division in the first leg of the second round, and. We, rec- we did recover to beat him 3 0 at the lane. Do you guys remember losing to Torquay? Yeah, I do. Cup exits really hurt because they kill your season. It's just such a dampener on the season. Really. Yeah, but we did we did get through that in the end. We beat him 3 0 at the lane. We got two from Klassen, and there was a goal for a young striker called Sean Close, who I must admit I've never heard of. Yeah, I actually met him on holiday once, actually. Oh, really? When we, I went to Tenerife, yeah, actually. It was after that season, yeah, with me and the. Me and the lads went to Tenerife and we were in the same hotel as him and he was sitting by the pool. We used to sit with him most days, actually. Mm. He was with his wife and his wife's family. Yeah, he was a lovely guy, just mm. a great guy, yeah. But he was he was just a bit unlucky. We went to Swindon afterwards. He was a small striker in the Paul Walsh mould. Do, do you guys remember him, Eric Pisa? I have no memory of him at all. He kind of played many games. Yeah, he's... Yeah, he no, he didn't play many games, you're right, and then he sort of went off to Swindon. Yeah, he was a like, nice, neat and tidy footballer. Possibly a bit lightweight. Did he maybe let it. himself go a little bit on that holiday? There was eight boys from Essex and he wanted to come out drinking with us, but he was with his girlfriend, so possibly he was a bit more disciplined. Yeah. Great days, great days. And Sim, what did we do after we were through beat Torquay? Uh, yeah, so we, yeah, so we lost away to Aston Villa 2-1 in the next round. And on that day, Ozzy Ardila scored his last Spurs goal. Oh, interesting, interesting. A sad day then, sad day, guys. So to wrap the season up, we finished 13th. FA Cup disaster, league disaster. Guys, how do we feel? Sum it up in two words. Come on, Peter, use our famous word for it. Uh, belly bacon. <laughs> Just to quote, quote, quote Simeon's great-grandmother, she used to say, fair to middling like belly bacon. And that was like uh, a fair yeah. to middling season. Average. Yeah, pretty poor form. Sim, how would you sum it up? I mean, I think just turgid. It just like I said, another one. No, 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 like I, no, this is probably the worst. The worst one I've seen did not look enjoyable in any way, shape, or form to watch Spurs in that year. Yeah, you're all right, Eric. How would you sum it up in a couple of words? I think we were outclassed by the likes of Liverpool, Man United, Notts Forest, and Everton, and the teams that we should have beaten, they outmuscled us. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point, good point. I mean, for me, it was hugely disappointing given what happened the year before and the story of Spurs' life. Did we invest correctly? I don't know. Again, hugely disappointing, hugely disappointing. I'm sure we'd all agree, yeah? Yeah, yeah. yeah particularly after the season beforehand. It was yeah. a huge letdown. Yeah. yeah, I totally agree. Anyway, guys, sorry to end, end on that sad note, <laughs> 87, 88 season. Eric, it's been brilliant having you... Um, on board. I hope you've enjoyed it, Eric. Yes, I have. Thank you very much for having me. I've really enjoyed it, and I hope it all works out well once we restart Good. for our remaining. How many games of 
How many games have Spurs got left to play? I think nine. Nine. And the Man United game, I'm just gutted. I won't be able to go and see him. Yeah, it's a real shame, isn't it? Oh. But, but, you know, we'll be, we'll be back there soon, hopefully. We'll see yeah. you at the lane, Eric. Uh, Sim, yeah. Peter, thanks again for today, um, everyone. And thanks for listening, everyone. And we've got one more season left, which is 1986-1987, which will be an entertaining ride. Hopefully, we're going to have a special guest. So, please listen. Sim... Eric, Peter, thank you. Keep well and see you all soon, guys.